This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I have a naked life story with Mike. Welcome, Mike, from freezing Brooklyn. I'm in freezing Colorado. Thanks so much for having me, Annie, and thank you for, uh, you know, everything you've done, your book and the podcast in particular, been a great help to me over the last year. So it's really an honor to be on, really a great opportunity. So thanks. Oh, it's so cool. It's so cool to have you. So um, tell me where, you know, back me right up to the beginning, where did it all sort of start for you? Okay, sure. Um, So I grew up in a suburb of Boston. Um, you know, I don't specifically remember my first drink, but I think it was around eighth or ninth grade and was, uh, you know, the type of thing where it was like, you know, me and a bunch of friends, uh, snuck some terrible liquor out of my parents' liquor cabinet, like some bush mills or some schnapps or something. And, um, you know, then started drinking at an early age. Uh, you know, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, an Irish Catholic, big Irish Catholic family outside of Boston. And so it was a big drinking family. Uh, my my parents both drank a lot, but, uh, you know, my parents are both very successful, you know, supportive parents and, um, you know, had a great life in terms of, you know, we had a house in Cape Cod growing up and there's a lot of family always around, a lot of friends, a lot of social gatherings. Um, but of course, drinking was always a big, a big part of a lot of those different types of activities and gatherings. And, uh, you know, being kind of like an Irish Catholic family, I think there was a lot of, you know, sort of repression going around. And so alcohol uh, could kind of be, uh, you know, a shortcut to, uh, you know, opening up to people or being more social and kind of a coping mechanism as well. Um, but, you know, in high school, my friends and my friend group and I would drink a lot. And, uh, you know, I, when I look back on it now, it kind of set, I kind of set the blueprint for myself in terms of, you know, uh, what my life would be like for the next 20 years from like 16 to 36, which is, you know, I would uh, try to be this responsible uh, kind of quieter type of person during the week, you know, get my work done, study, get pretty good grades, keep people off my back, play sports. And then on the weekend, I would kind of transform into this uh, party animal, if you will. And uh, I kind of set this blueprint of, uh, you know, binge drinking kind of every weekend. Um, so it was a big part of my life in high school. My friends and I started smoking weed and, you know, experimenting with other drugs at that time. Um, but, you know, I kept things together and, you know, even back then was able to maintain a sort of balance between, you know, partying, if you will, and, and school. And so that, that really continued all the way through college. I went to a small liberal arts school in the Northeast and no shortage of partying there and, you know, uh, a lot of drinking, big drinking school and, and that really continued uh, through college. And then right after college, moved to New York City, uh, got a job here. Uh, I've lived here for 15 years now. And, um, you know, a lot of my friends that I went to college with moved here right after college, too. And we just kind of kept the party going for a lot of years. And um, it was really fun. You know, throughout the 20s, you know, you'd kind of work, you know, work. And I'd live this, uh, you know, what a lot of people wear as a badge of honor. And now looking back, it really wasn't so much. But this uh, type of weekend warrior lifestyle, you know. And when I was younger, I could handle it. Um, but then as I started to, you know, get into my 30s, you know, the hangover started getting worse. And, uh, you know, my tolerance would get a lot higher and, uh, you know, I drink so much more over the weekends. Uh, 
you know, as I got into my thirties and then, uh, you know, a few, a few things started to happen, which is like, as I got into my thirties, you know, I'd go out and, uh, you know, you just kept doing the same things, you know, over and over again. And it just kind of mm -hmm. felt like, um, a lot of my friends around, around me were starting to have kids. They were, you know, pursuing different jobs, uh, you know, starting uh, families moving out of New York City. And I was just, you know, kind of felt like I was stuck on this hamster wheel of, you know, I wasn't growing and changing and I was just hitting the same bars over and over again. And uh, in your book, something I really identified with, with was, um, you know, you talked about how life kind of becomes this small, boozy groundhog's day and things, start, you know, in a way started to feel like that, um, you know, a lot for me. Uh, and then, so, you know, kind of two years ago and getting into 2017 is really uh, when a few things happened that started to change, uh, you know, uh, in my life that started my drinking and ramping up, but then also kind of started me on the path I've been on now to sobriety. The first was really a practical reason, and that was that my company offered us the opportunity to work from home uh, one day a week. And so... I chose Mondays, not really to like kick off my week, uh, you know, with a nice productive work day from home, but really so that I could keep drinking on Sundays and, uh, you know, not have to go into the office on Monday mornings, uh, so hungover. And so, you know, every weekend then I kind of added Sunday on uh, to drinking and every, every weekend became like a three-day bender. Uh, and uh, so, you know, you'd, I'd get out of work on Friday, uh, sometimes even leaving work to meet a friend at the bar. And then, you know, you'd start drinking at happy hour at the bar. Sometimes you'd get dinner. Sometimes you wouldn't, um, you know, keep drinking all night. Sometimes we would start do cocaine to keep drinking, which in retrospect was completely unnecessary. <laughs> but then you'd get up on Saturday, you'd feel real crappy, hungover, and you'd hit a brunch with friends and you'd start drinking you know, Bloody Marys, and then maybe you'd go out to a bar in the afternoon and start drinking. Um, and I, you know, I, I, plenty of people do that in this city, but, uh, you know, for me, this was like every single weekend, this was kind of the blueprint. Um, and so then on Sundays, you know, I would, I would keep drinking then too, you know, whether it was a football game, now that I had to, didn't have to go into the office, you know, I'd drink more beers on Sunday, or you'd go meet friends at a bar for, you know, quote, Sunday fun day and keep drinking. Uh, throughout Sundays. And so, uh, you know, I'd wake up every Monday morning, like totally incapacitated uh, from the weekends drinking, feeling horrible, uh, you know, be like sweating out alcohol. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd force myself to get up and kind of do the bare minimum of work to get by. But, you know, every Monday, I was like miserable uh, for, for at least a year, probably, you know, even longer. Um, and at the same time, two other personal things were happening in my life that were more serious personal issues. Uh, the first was that my dad, you know, had been battling life-threatening illness. He uh, was diagnosed with a rare disease called amyloidosis, uh, which affects, uh, you know, the uh, protein, uh, abnormal protein builds up in your tissues and organs. And so he had to undergo a stem cell transplant uh, and chemotherapy. And, you know, he had his last rites read several times. He had to have a kidney transplant. And so, uh, you know, his, his illness in 2017, he'd been battling for a lot of years, but he was spending months in and out of the hospital and, um, you know, things had really taken a turn for the worse. Uh, and so, you know, I think I drank a lot more as a way to cope with that and kind of numb the pain I was dealing with from that. And 
The second thing that was happening was that my wife and I had been trying unsuccessfully to have a baby for about a year. So we had gotten married and had been trying and we had just started this journey of meeting with the fertility doctor and going uh, into the whole infertility world. And so in the fall of 2017, we were getting ready to you know, go into our first cycle of IVF. And, you know, I was still partying like, a, you know, every weekend was like a bachelor party or something. So definitely, you know, not a, not a good look for me at the time. Um, and so all of this was, was really ramping up until, until one weekend uh, in September in 2017 that, you know, I kind of call like my fateful uh, weekend where my life really changed. And I want to kind of walk through the weekend in a little bit of detail, uh, just because I think it was really encapsulates kind of the microcosm of some of the reasons I drank, um, you know, why well, the there was a problem. What's that? The details are great. Yeah, I'd love okay. to hear the specifics. Um, really yeah, absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that happened, and, you know, when I've read your book now, is you talk about the moderation trap. And so I would go into some certain weekends, like planning not to drink very much and have a chill weekend. And then I was the type of drinker where once I started, it was kind of off to the races. But this weekend was a bit of an example of that my wife uh, was planning to, uh, she had to go away for work for a week on Sunday morning. And so our plan going in was to just have a chill weekend hang out together and spend time together before she uh, flew to Seattle for a week for work. And so um, that Friday night, I got off of work. We had planned to just have dinner in the neighborhood. And uh, as was kind of routine, I stopped at a bodega on the way home and picked up a whole bunch of beer to, to stock the fridge for the weekend. And uh, then I uh, walked down, left the apartment, dropped that off the apartment, walked down the street to go pick up some wine for my wife. I remember I was walking down the street and on the corner of my street, there was, you know, a group of people gathered outside of a building and there was a, uh, you know, I was wondering what they were doing. I looked over, they were kind of chatting with each other and there was a sign that said AA and an arrow pointing down the stairs uh, to the basement. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, I should just walk in there right now. Um, but, you know, I didn't, and I was terrified to do that and, you know, enter that whole world. And I had kind of built up this thing in my mind that I, you know, I didn't need that, that I could handle it. And, um, and so I kept walking, uh, you know, very, you know, straight contrast, kept walking right to the liquor store <laughs> to buy uh, the bottle of wine for my wife. And then, you know, while I was there, though, it was kind of classic drinker thinking. I remember, you know, I, I said, well, let me pick up a bottle of vodka just in case, too. So I grabbed a bottle of vodka as well, brought it back home. You know, I started having beers before my wife got home. We went out to dinner. Um, and then, you know, even after, you know, I had a couple cocktails at dinner. So we were trying to have a few, uh, you know, a chill night, but I was already kind of drinking a lot. Then when we got home, my wife went to bed and I stayed up drinking more by myself, which was something I would tend to do a lot. And uh, it kind of plays into this story a little later um, in a minute. And so, you know, I kind of stayed up drinking more, drinking more beers by myself, listening to music and, you know, for no reason, really, just uh, I kind of, you know, kept the party going. Um, so on Saturday uh, afternoon, we had a party to go to, which was... Uh, a friend of my wife's from work. And so, you know, I didn't know anyone at, at this party. And so this is a, you know, an example of, you know, social anxiety, I think played in a lot 
to the reason I drank. And so I can kind of be shy or introverted when I'm in like a new situation like that, like I'm sure a lot of people are. And so, um, you know, we, I bought a 12 pack of beer to bring to the party and, you know, we were there for a couple hours and I just remember like feeling so uncomfortable if I didn't have a beer in my hand. And so, you know, I probably drank like eight beers in the couple hours we we're at this party. And, you know, my wife and I were dinner after I kept drinking more there. And I remember kind of looking at me and be like, you know, why are you drinking so much? It's just us hanging out. And, you know, I know, I know now I, you know, I was addicted and just kind of, you know, this type of drinker where I couldn't stop once I started, but you know, she was right. Um, so fast forward to Sunday morning, uh, my wife flew off to Seattle and, you know, I'm from Boston. So I'm a big Patriots fan and I have a lot of friends that I grew up with that actually live here in Brooklyn. And so uh, it was kind of our Sunday ritual that we'd all get together, watch football. And since I, you know, was able to work from home, uh, you know, a lot of times it would get out of hand. And so uh, this day was no exception. Had friends come over uh, at about noon. I remember specifically saying to one friend, you know, something like too early to crack one. Of course, he said no. And, we, you know, we started drinking at noon. And, uh, you know, by like four o'clock, 4.30, the Patriots game was over. All the beer had run out. And uh, I said, well, I have this bottle of vodka that I just bought just in case. So we cracked that open and, you know, we're all hanging out making vodka sodas. And, you know, this is when, you know, things get really blurry. And basically I had started to black out. And, uh, you know, I think eventually we finished the bottle of vodka. Me and a couple other friends decided it'd be a great idea to go down the street to the bar, uh, down the street. So we hit the bar. At this point, I was like totally blacked out. And, you know, I guess, you know, just really embarrassed myself at the bar. I was like falling off the bar stool, trying to order shots. They, you know, the bartender, you know, essentially shut me off and asked me to leave. And I kind of stumbled home. Um, and, you know, if that had been the end of it, uh, you know, I probably would have woken up on Monday and just kind of carried on. Oh, another rough weekend. Um, but what was different this time is, uh, you know, I got, I got home and decided to keep the party going by myself. Like I, you know, had done Friday night and many nights before, but this time I decided to, uh, post a couple Instagram videos of myself, you know, drunkenly blasting music in my living room and, you know, really embarrassing. Like I couldn't bring myself to watch them after, but like was apparently I was like lying on the floor and one and, um, you know, I can kind of laugh about it now, but it was in the moment, it, you know, at the time it was so painful and it kind of reminded me, I think of uh, like 10 years ago, this video went kind of viral of uh, David Hasselhoff, where his daughter had taken a video of him drunkenly eating a cheeseburger on the floor. And, uh, you know, that kind of, she had taken it to inspire him to quit drinking. And so this was kind of my David Hasselhoff moment, except I had taken the video myself and put it out there for the whole world to see, uh, or at least all my friends to see, and, uh, you know, man, and passed out in my bed, you know, and I was totally blacked out, don't remember any of this, so I woke up uh, the next morning, and, you know, just felt like a truck of alcohol had run over my body, and, uh, you know, just had a piercing headache, but also had this, like, crippling sense of shame, and just something felt different, like, oh, man, I, I did something really stupid last night, didn't I? Uh, and then my, you know, I looked over at my phone and my phone was blowing up, you know, those angry text messages from my wife and, you know, a lot worse things were said, but the gist of it was like, you know, never post on Instagram when you're drunk, 
you know, I have uh, coworkers and a family that follow you. And I, I was getting text messages from, from friends I was with the day before, like, are you alive? And, you know, people I hadn't even seen in a long time are like, are you okay? And, uh, oh you know, the, it started like coming to the real, you know, I deleted the videos and immediately shut down my Instagram account and, you know, deleted the evidence, but the damage was there. And, uh, you know, I, I had this kind of moment where, you know, I, I realized, you know, some, this is different this time and I really need to do something about this. I need to, um, you know, I need to stop drinking. And I text, I remember texting that to my wife and thinking, you know, uh, she probably doesn't even believe me, but uh, in that moment, I really truly meant it uh, for probably the first time in my life. And so uh, I, you know, I started Googling and I, I wanted to like shut my phone off and, you know, close the door, draw the shades, you know, all of that and never face the world again. But I was motivated and desperate to try to do something to help myself. So I started Googling. I, I actually looked up that AA meeting. I had just walked past that Friday night. Um, you know, I was on Reddit and I, f I found this forum called Stop Drinking and someone had mentioned that they had, you know, read your book and how much it had helped her. And so I was able to immediately download it. And, you know, it's like the closest thing I'll have to an epiphany. It just really spoke to me in that moment. It was exactly what I needed and, and really uh, started me on this journey of sobriety and recovery. Uh, and that was, you know, about 13 and a half months ago. So hasn't been perfect, but, uh, you know, that was day one of you know, deciding to make a big change in my life. Oh, that's so cool. It's getting me emotional. I hear these stories all the time, but I don't know. Sometimes I think that I just, I don't know. I love the, uh, I can't talk, the detail of I was there with you. I mean, I was like seeing the street in my house where I remember passing AA meetings in Brooklyn and walking home when, you know, in apartments. And I remember the bodega where I bought the beer and the liquor store where I bought the wine. And then it's like, but we just need a bottle. I mean, I really, wow. That's like really powerful. Yeah. That's so cool. What a good story. Um, it's, it's just amazing because I think we all, yeah, we're all telling the same story. We're just living it out like individually and we're not, you know, talking about it. So it's so, so great. We can come together and, and really talk about it. Yeah. So absolutely. how have things gone in, in New York city? I know I've had a few guys actually quit drinking in um, New York city, well, lots and lots, but people who have actually been on the podcast and I know, and girls, and I know it's, and I live there. So I know it's, can be really tough from a social perspective and work and all that sorts of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the, one of the toughest things, you know, first, you know, is, you know, for me too, you know, as someone who kind of experiences social anxiety or, you know, had used alcohol as a crutch in social situations, it's, it's hard for sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I would do though is, you know, I, I was very much like a, a, a yes man, you know, when, when I was drinking a lot and I would go out and do anything and, and, and say anything because you could kind of make anything into a party. And, you know, I would also, you know, in New York City, you could always find a way to incorporate alcohol into like any and everything you do. Uh, and so, you know, I remember like, you know, even going to the movie theater here in Brooklyn, you know, there's a bar in the movie theater now and you can drink during the movie or you go to the park and we'd bring beers. And, uh, and so, you know, that's still going on. And a lot of my friends are still doing that, but, you know, 
uh, seltzer water has become my, my, my best companion. And, uh, you know, I just, you know, I don't go out as much as I used to, and that's okay. Um, you know, I say no to a lot of things. I've kind of realized that I need to really focus on, um, you know, things that I really want to do. Um, but with that said, I still go out to parties. And, uh, you know, what I find is that for me anyway, a lot of the anxiety and fear that I have going into it um, is worse than when you actually get there. And I've heard other people in your podcast talk about this. It's like, you know, it's like going to be the biggest thing in the world. And then you show up and, you know, sometimes you don't even have to talk about it. You know, you just order a, a soda water or something and no one even says anything or you just say, yeah, I don't feel like drinking tonight. And so, um, in what I've found, you know, and, and as advice for others, like at first it was really hard and then you need reps like anything in life. And so yeah. um, the more you do it and the more you go out and you put yourself in that situation, um, the better and more comfortable you feel. Um, and, you know, I still go out to a lot of live music and I used to like, you know, be, spend the whole time going back and forth from the, you know, to the bar getting, you know, or the bathroom buying beer and that kind of thing. And now I just go and enjoy it. And so, it, it, it can be hard. Alcohol is all around you, but, you know, you just um, have to find a way to, you know, put yourself out there and, um, and not be afraid to, you know, keep on with the path that you're on. Yeah. That's, I love that. Just like you need reps. Like that's just so true. You just yeah. need reps. It's absolutely true. And then it becomes completely and totally effortless. Um, recently, and I just shared this, I, we had a live naked mind event last um, about, I'd say two weeks ago now. And it was the first time I sort of shared this framework, but it's worth talking about because so much of what you've said just fits so perfectly into this framework. But I was really looking at what is our path? You know, what is our journey from becoming aware of this to completely mastering it? And of course, like at the beginning of, of the path, we really have the stage, like stage one, step one is just being unaware, like not really knowing that alcohol is the thing. And I think that's where so much of the anxiety about deciding to stop drinking comes from. Because I know for me, alcohol was not the thing that was the problem. Alcohol was the thing that was keeping my life together. It was the duct tape. It was like the glue, you know? And so when it was threatened, I felt really, really uncomfortable and uneasy because there was no awareness that alcohol might be the issue, right? And so that actually all the things that are the problems in my life were really sourced and created by the alcohol. I was totally unaware. And then you hit that point of awareness and your, your moments of awareness, I mean, there were a few, but the awareness is always painful. And yeah. the awareness is like, oh my gosh, because you go from thinking like this thing that I think is helping is actually an enemy, but I also think it's helping. And I don't know, have any idea how to get out of this or how to unwind this. And then um, I think you move from the moment of awareness really to knowledge. And I think that's where like this naked mind comes in is like, look, I think in the moment of awareness, what you need to know is that there's hope and that it's not your fault. It's your responsibility, but it's not your fault. You were just born a human being in our society where alcohol is more advertised than you know, anything else in America and um, in very egregious ways. And it's addictive to human beings, just yeah. as addictive as any other drug. And so um, you need to understand that like you're one of just millions and millions of people caught up in this, but this exact same story, it's not your fault and that there's definitely a solution. And so you get the knowledge and then step five is action and action is where you actually have to put it down long enough to get the reps. And I think a lot of people get tripped up on step five because 
Step five can be really scary. If you're, if you're wavering, if you go to that park, I mean, I remember Park Slope, the, you know, um, symphonic orchestra or some play in the park and like, you know, yep. Trader Joe's first, all my wine, all my cheese. Very <laughs> it's familiar very, with uh, that. Yeah, we go to Frostwick Park cheesy. a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm like really uh, very, whatever. I'm living the life, right? And, <laughs> and really, I'm just using it as another excuse to get drunk and not remember the walk home. And yeah. by the way, one of those times, walk home with my bottle of wine and get um, almost arrested because you're not allowed to have an open bottle of wine, at least when I was living there. And so got a ticket and I thought that was going to ruin my entire career. I had a, um, I forget what the ticket was, an open container. Yeah, I got one of those just sitting on a stoop in Park Slope one time drinking and being really worried about it. Absolutely. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So much anxiety about that ticket and having to deal. I'm like, I'm in the New York City court system. Like totally. Oh, so much drama. Yeah. And then so you, but but if you go into any of those situations, if you go to Prospect Park and, and you have a maybe, it's going to be a yes. Like you're going to get overwhelmed and crushed by everything around you and all your past habitual behaviors and all the societal influences. And so the reps of just making that decision beforehand and just knowing because step six or step five then was that I think there's five steps in my little thing. I don't, I, I just wrote it so I don't have it in front of me, but step five is then mastery and mastery comes I think the soonest mastery can come is where after, you know, right, right around a year when you've really been through every single event at least once. And I think that's, and then I think it just gets better and better and better. But I would say step one through step four, even action, like they take effort still, you know, you still have to make the decisions. They take decision-making and then you get into this place of mastery. And I would call mastery like effortless enjoyment of the change that you've made where it's absolutely effortless. It would take more effort to have a drink than to not have a drink. It would take more effort to go down that road than to not go down that road. And um, you just completely enjoy like the new life. And I guess to anybody listening, like that is where it goes if you put in the reps. And that's what got me on that whole tangent in the first place. But I, I've never said it that way and I just love it. Like you just need reps and then you can get to where you've mastered the change and everything, everything changes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, now we're coming up on Thanksgiving and I remember being, you know, so, you know, and Christmas and being so nervous, you know, last year as, as I was doing my first sober Thanksgiving, you know, since I was a kid and, um, you know, but it was also a good reminder because two years ago, you know, uh, I went out partying with my friends the night before Thanksgiving and then woke up hungover and, you know, started drinking at my brother's house and got so drunk that I basically like, you know, blacked out at the end of the night there. And so, you know, it was also kind of a a reminder of, you know, how far I've come in the last couple of years, but this year I'm not nervous at all going into it because, you know, I've had a lot more uh, experience and reps and also, you know, other people, you know, people now know that I'm a non-drinker and that helps, Um, you know, but, you know, even, you know, going into, even now, you know, going into situations where I don't know people or maybe offered a drink, you know, uh, it's still difficult for me. I'm not motivated to drink, but it's just hard for me personally to navigate those situations and kind of come out as an undrinker. And that's something I'm, you know, still working through. Um, and one of the things I identified so much with in your book, or, or at least in something I've read of yours, is that, you know, moder- the moderation trap. And for me, I even kind of had an experience with this. And so, um, you know, I talked about my dad's health, um, and, you know, in the first part of my story and, 
unfortunately, um, you know, about six, just, just before six months of me getting sober, my dad passed away. Uh, and, you know, he was such a strong supportive presence in my life. And I'm so happy I got that at that time with him uh, in those last five and a half, six months. But, um, you know, I made it all the way up until the day of the funeral, um, alcohol free. But then, you know, after giving the eulogy at the funeral, I, um, you know, I caved right afterwards. And I remember, you know, my cousin, Steve, Steven turning to me and, uh, you know, seeing like you ready, it was like 1030 in the morning and yep. And so, you know, uh, started drinking that day. And so I, I had this, you know, brief, uh, day and in interlude where, you know, I, I caved and I, I, I drank again on, the, on that day. Um, but I remember waking up the next morning and feeling, you know, that familiar, horrible hangover feeling was back. And I even turned to my wife and said, you know, alcohol is poison, you know, and, uh, um, but, you know, I, I, I was in such pain that I kind of was seeking that numbing feeling that alcohol gave me. And so I, I decided two days later to try to kind of do an experiment with moderation and so we were at uh it was the final four and i had i tried to have a few beers and that familiar endless thirst was coming back and i could kind of sense like the second i was finishing one i wanted another and i just knew from i had the tools and the knowledge and everything that you had written and everything i'd listened to and all the memoirs i'd read that i knew that it was a trap and that i would fall right back into it and so that night i resolved to become alcohol free again um and you know now it's been seven and a half months since then and so um i'm you know so happy that was only a very brief interlude that i was able to get through those things they give us so much knowledge you know for where we're going next and i think that's so important and i i think it's really um heartbreaking and counterproductive when people see things like that as failure you know because i like to give the example of my daughter she's 18 months and she's learning to walk and i mean the number of times that she's fallen um well now she's learning to run it's a, it's yeah. a little bit dated example, but now in running the number of times she's fallen, it's the same principle, but she's not going to stop learning to run. Like she's got her, she's got her focus. She's not going to get discouraged. She, you know, might get frustrated for a minute, but she's just going to keep moving forward and she wouldn't be learning to master that without falling. And I think that's just, you know, such a vital piece of this all is that sometimes we put so much focus on like amount of time and and all this stuff, but is it doesn't actually matter as long as you really have the mindset that like all of this is part of my path and part of my journey. And I'm going to honor and accept it instead of really, you know, beating myself up, which just guess what? That just leads to all sorts of bad places because there was one thing, and this is, you know, just the live event is top of mind for me, but I was really thinking like, what is the one thing? I mean, obviously my book has all the information. I'm coming out with another book has all the information. My podcast has all the information. There's so much information out there. So what is the one thing that I could leave people with or contribute to people um, in this two days together that would really like, what is the most life-changing and important thing possible? And it really, for me, boiled down to, really reconnecting with the part of ourselves or the version of ourselves that we were when we were, when we were kids. And like my, again, 18 month old daughter looks in the mirror and she's like, ah, you, where have you been? And like, she's just so excited to see herself. There's no story in her head. There's none of the things other people have told her or things she's told herself or mistakes she's made. And I mean, that's like, we have this very 
self-love is such a cliche term this, these days, but we have this very, very profound, innate, divine part of ourselves that is deeply in love with ourselves. And when we try to like deny that and not give ourselves that time and that space, and we beat ourselves up for mistakes, I mean, we just pull ourselves further from that than, you know, really closer to it. So I just like how you described that entire thing. And I'm sorry about your father. That's heartbreaking. Um, but it's really neat how you've, how you've learned and grown from that instead of just let it kind of trap you. Yeah. You know, I, I, yeah, I could see that it could maybe go to a dark place and, but, uh, you know, I'm able to really as, you know, being, being able to deal with my grief and, and with the issues and the loss of my father with a really clear mind. And, you know, that was something, you know, even just a year ago, I wouldn't have been able to do. And so, um, you know, I'm so happy I didn't fall back into, uh, into the trap of drinking and to numb my pain again, for sure. That's awesome. So let me ask you the question I always ask at the end. And that's really, you know, what would you tell Mike of, um, laying on the floor taking Instagram videos <laughs> <That's> <laughs> five vodka. what would you tell him about what it's like on this other side you know I would I think what I would say is you know you, you don't have to live this way but really more importantly that there is another way to live you know I, I had um, I didn't really know another way you know it never even occurred to me that you could go out to dinner and order a sparkling water you know my whole life I had just lived this kind of one way where you just drank and, and socialized and all of that every single weekend and um, you know you don't have to wake up every single Monday feeling horrible and that's just the way it is that you are capable of changing and that you know things will be brighter on the other side and uh, you know, now my wife and I are, you know, I'm there a hundred percent for her as we deal with these fertility issues and, um, you know, trying to start my own family. And, you know, I, I can do this with a clear heart, you know, and that's, you know, no longer just like numbing myself and not being present every single weekend by chasing, you know, artificial highs um, with alcohol. You know, I feel like really the true joy and spirit of life was right there in front of me this whole time. And, um, you know, I really just had to give up alcohol to see it. And so, um, you know, I want to say thank you to you so much uh, for everything you've done for me. And, uh, uh, you know, I'm not sure where I'd be if I hadn't have come across your book that day. So, you know, thank you for everything you've done. Well, of course, thank you for being here. It's been awesome. Such a good, such a good journey. So inspiring. And I know that, you know, so many people will will really gravitate to it. So I really, really appreciate it, Mike. I hope so. Thanks so much, Annie. All right. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.